0: There. Welcome back to another episode of Cupycast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Welcome, you're in the right spot. I'm Tiffany Balducci, She Her Pronouns.
1: I'm Elise Lee She, Her Pronouns, reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. And
2: I'm Brittany Nisbet, she, her pronouns. So the month of June is Indigenous History Month, and we thought that we'd focus today's episode on some of the upcoming Indigenous celebrations and events, meaningful land acknowledgements, an interview with the newly elected Indigenous Council Chair Lila Pa, and so much more. We also want to provide a content warning that we will be discussing the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls and two-spirit people and the residential school system. So thank you for tuning in. You are listening to QPcast episode 14, From, Re-
1: From Reconciliation to Reconciliation. So to begin today's episode, I was thinking we could begin by talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. Mm -hmm. Just a few months ago in April 2022, Statistics Canada actually released a report called Violent Victimization and Perceptions of Safety, Experiences of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit Women. In this report, it details that a staggering 63% of Indigenous women have experienced physical or sexual assault in their lifetime. Wow.
0: Yeah, that statistic Mm -hmm. is devastating to hear. And it's important for us to remember that while this is, you know, a statistic, there are real women and people behind that number. And a lot of people actually don't report things. So the number is, you know, even possibly bigger. Mm.
2: Very true. Yeah, absolutely. And indigenous women are more likely than non-indigenous women to actually experience violence. The same report that Elise mentioned, it actually states that 56% of indigenous women have experienced physical assault compared to 34% of non-indigenous women who have experienced physical assault.
1: Yes, these numbers are absolutely horrifying. Mm -hmm. And for years, indigenous communities have been sounding the alarm on the violence that indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people continue to experience.
0: Yes, and this advocacy work led to the creation of the National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit People. Um, As stated on the National Inquiry's website, uh, the final report is comprised of the truths of more than 2,380 family members, survivors of violence, experts, and knowledge keepers shared over two years of cross-country public hearings and evidence gathering. It delivers 231 individual calls for justice directed at governments, institutions, social service providers, industries, and all Canadians. We'll be sure to leave the links to both volumes of the report in the show notes.
2: Thank you for sharing that info about the report, Tiffany. uh, Yeah, we definitely encourage folks to read up on it. And um, while we're on this topic, I also want to talk Mm -hmm. about Red Dress Day. So for the listeners who may not know, Red Dress Day is also known as the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. It began through a project called the Red Dress Project that Métis artist Jamie Black created. Um, and on their website, they actually mentioned the Red Dress Project focuses around the issue of missing or murdering Aboriginal women across Canada. It's an installation art project based on an aesthetic response to this critical national issue. This project has been installed in public spaces throughout Canada and the U.S. as a visual reminder of the staggering number of women who are no longer with us. And... Uh, I actually noticed like in my own hometown, because I know it's starting to spread around other areas as well. We actually had, uh, if you went down the main street, they had red dresses on all of the lampposts all the way down the main street. So I know different areas are starting to take part too. It was very powerful. Yeah. It was very powerful. And like some of the dresses were, you know, they were all different sizes and some of them were little Mm -hmm. for like, Little children. And some of them were like for like full size women. And it was just it was very powerful to see. So aesthetically, it's it's definitely it definitely gets a response out of people. For
1: sure. And I actually remember when I used to live up in that area, seeing the red dress project there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Jamie's art installation concept is definitely very captivating. And it's a great example of artivism. So art and activism mixed together. The art also reminds us mm. that while Red Dress Day is about awareness, it's also about taking action and calling for no more Stolen Sisters, because even one woman missing is way too much. On Red Dress Day, there are also rallies and actions that take place around Turtle Island.
0: Yes, I love artivism. It can really spread a message so quickly and so poignantly. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know, I think it's, and I might be wrong on this, um, which which QP division has it, but I want to say it's CUPE Nova Scotia. Um, their Indigenous Council, or um, uh, what the group that they have there, uh, has pins that you can wear on your lapel that are red dresses. Um, yes. Yeah,
2: they're nice. Yeah, so those. that's another
0: form of, you know, artivism or sharing solidarity through, uh, you know, something that you're wearing.
2: And mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, I have a pin collection. I should go see yeah, if I have one. Yeah. Definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> um, another important day for folks to mark in their calendar is October 4th, which is the Sisters in Spirit initiative organized by the Native Women's Association of Canada, although many indigenous communities and people organize initiatives as well. And on this day, folks honor the memories and share stories of the murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people and provide support for people who have lost loved ones. Hundreds and hundreds of vigils are organized across Turtle Island, and some vigils have turned into marches and larger events
2: so while we were also talking about red dress day and all of these different things i was also thinking of the land that we as settlers are on and the importance of doing land acknowledgements um, did either of you watch the webinar the ofl held last year i think it was around this time i think it was like june 21st last year um about meaningful land acknowledgements daniel stevens the uh, co-chair of the ofl fnmi circle was a uh, was doing the presentation. Did you either of you see
1: that? Yeah, so I actually saw this presentation. Um, I know that he's done it more than once. So I saw it when it was the uh, Hamilton and District Labor Council actually hosted him and he did um, a presentation then. So that's when I saw it. And time really escapes me during the pandemic, but I believe it was also last year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I actually saw it Yeah back when I was on the OFL board, when things were still in person, pre-pandemic. So so oh, wow. I watched it way back oh, then wow. and then I watched the webinar as well. Yeah, it does a great job. Oh, nice.
2: Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, time uh, Time escaped me during the pandemic too. <laughs> so when I went to rewatch it, I was like, oh, it was, it was literally a year oh, ago. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, for our listeners who would uh, also like to watch it, it's on the OFL YouTube channel. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, so, set aside some time. But it is just so informative, um, and Daniel does a really excellent job at explaining everything. Yeah, and
0: we'll make sure that we link it in the show notes so folks don't have to go off and, and Google to find it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yes, yes. I. But yeah, I. I really recommend setting sitting setting aside the time to watch it when you get a chance um i had a few takeaways too that i wanted to share with uh all you all of our listeners uh so that maybe when they're doing land acknowledgements in uh your workplaces you can also or at like meetings or whatever you can also consider these uh i'm definitely not gonna do as good a job as daniel of course this is just like a very very small summary but it's just things that i took away that i thought were important uh to share um so and like one of the first things uh that that Daniel started off saying is like, when you do a land acknowledgement, you need to present who you are, uh, specifically in this exact moment. So Daniel explains that this is like presenting who you are is, is more of an emotional connection. Um, it's just not just your name. Um, you really need to reflect on who you are and then present yourself in that way. Like, how are you feeling um, emotionally?
1: hmm. I remember at this point, Daniel also mentioned that who we are can change from day to day. So it's important to recognize who you are on that day and at that time.
2: Yeah, that's it's exactly it. And like speaking for myself, like I know, like every hour I can change based on an experience that I have or a situation that happens. So so you really need to look internally and you really need to question uh, who you are and what you are feeling. Um, and then the second piece that Daniel mentioned that we need to consider is why are you there? But it, it's not in the sense of like, what are you doing? It's more in the sense of like, why is this space that you are taking up, important. Yeah, and
0: um, as I said, I actually saw this presentation in person at an OFL board, you know, executive board meeting. So, um, you know, what really resonated with me at the time was when Daniel said, what gives you the privilege to be in this boardroom? And, you know, when I hear that and I I think about this a lot, I thought, you know, what does give me uh, the right to be here, the privilege to be here? And I think about that in the spaces that I'm in and taking up and, I have many unearned privileges that allow me to navigate our spaces with ease.
2: Yeah, that that piece really resonated with me too and it actually kind of humbled me. I just thought like, yeah, why why am I here? Not like, what why am I there doing the work that I'm doing? I know what the work is, but like why am I there? Why am I taking up space? What had to happen to get me to this place and who had to give up what for mm-hmm. me to be sitting here? And so the next piece was also really really in depth and really informative and it was uh why is it important to and for you and the group to acknowledge the land so this is where Daniel goes in and he teaches us more about the different treaties and how Turtle Island has changed from the 1700s to now so um, he goes in and and shows us like who was originally here, what was it called, what gives you access to the land that you are
1: on. Yeah, and I remember during this piece, um, he also was showing a lot of maps, showing how Turtle Island changed as settlers came in, and I found that part extremely Mm -hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah, he he really did. And I mean, Uh Daniel's a teacher. So for (laughs) for this piece specifically, I think that came in so handy, because while it was quite a bit like quite long, um, he did keep my interest the entire the entire time it was, you know, but it was very interesting to learn, um, you know, how, how we have settled here and who was here first and and so then the next piece uh, that's helpful for land acknowledgments, and this is actually the last piece, is uh, is is a land acknowledgement appropriate? So mm-hmm. Daniel further asks, is what are what are uh, what we are saying and what we are sharing and welcoming and acknowledging the past, is it appropriate
1: to what we are doing on that day? Yeah, Daniel explains this in the part that if you need to take something, then we really only need to take what we actually need. We need things to be reciprocal and fair.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, throughout this webinar, or if you do see uh, something like this in person, Daniel really does teach us that you have to be humble and self-reflective. A land acknowledgement is not just words on paper that we read at the beginning of the meeting. Um, It's so much more than that. So it's really bringing yourself Mm -hmm. to it in a way that um, you're present and honestly acknowledging. And I would take it one step further. And I know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if he says this in the webinar, but I know we had the discussion in person that also reflect on what you've done meaningfully since the last time you've met and acknowledged the land like what what steps have you taken Mm. um and maybe admit if you haven't taken any steps towards reconciliation and what are you going to do about it
1: that's a really great point Mm. right Yeah, Yeah, thank you both for those uh, reflections on meaningful land acknowledgements. Next, I was thinking we could talk about Orange Shirt Day, which is on September 30th, Mm -hmm. which is now also on the same day as the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, We can first begin by talking Mm -hmm. um, about maybe just looking at the Orange Shirt Day website. So it's at orangeshirtday.org. Um, And it uh, explains, and I'm just going to quote it directly from the website. Orange Shirt Day is a legacy of the St. Joseph Mission Residential School, 1891 to 1981, commemoration project and reunion events that took place in May 2013 in Williams Lake, B.C. This project was a vision of Eschatomic Akali Lake Chief Fred Robbins, a former student, to commemorate the Indian Residential School experience to witness and honor the healing journey of the survivors and their families and to commit to the ongoing process of reconciliation, end quote.
2: Yeah, and and at this event, uh, Phyllis Webstad shared her story of when she was six years old and her gra- grandmother gave her this really bright, shiny orange shirt uh, on her first day to St. Joseph's Mission Residential School. And the orange shirt was taken from Phyllis, who, as a six-year-old, You know, six years old and this shirt's taken away and it was actually never returned. Um, Phyllis now tours Turtle Island and uh, she talks about Orange Shirt Day and the continued impacts of the Indian residential school system. And like I use school in quotes. (laughs) Uh, So in the show notes, we'll leave a link for the Orange Shirt Day website so that folks can learn more about Phyllis's story and check out some more Mm. resources.
1: Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, you're right to say school in quotes because we know that these weren't actually schools. They were traumatic Mm. institutions that were created by the Canadian government. Mm -hmm. Um, And this played a huge role in the genocide of indigenous peoples and communities. And as many indigenous peoples have said in the past, the Indian residential school system was meant to take the Indian out of the child.
0: Yes, and some examples of what happened Mm -hmm. in these institutions included children not being allowed to speak their mother tongue, having their hair cut, and hair is, you know, very sacred in indigenous cultures, and children were physically, mentally, and sexually assaulted, and many, many, many children died and their their graves are still being Mm. uncovered. They were just in unmarked graves.
2: Yeah, it's so heartbreaking that this even existed and the mass graves are still being found. So we really encourage folks to join in on rallies and actions and events that are happening on September 30th and to wear orange. Uh, I also want to mention that the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is now also on the same day as Orange Shirt Day on September 30th. So the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is a federal statutory holiday. And it's also meant to recognize the impacts of the Indian residential school system and to honor the lost children and survivors as well as their families and communities. And I know many of you have uh, gone through bargaining process to receive the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation as a holiday. Um, So I'm curious to hear if either Elise so, Tiffany, if you either have experience in this?
1: Yeah, all. so uh, we recently bargained our uh, collective agreement in uh, at the very end of April, and uh, the National Day of Truth mm-hmm. and Reconciliation was definitely something that came up, um, because there are mm-hmm. many Indigenous folks who uh, do organize different events on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, which is also Orange Shirt Day. Um, so I think like the thinking that was behind my subunit was just that like it could be used as a day for folks to be able to you know have the day off so that we could take part in the different actions and rallies that are taking place. Um, in contrast, mm-hmm. uh, the management at my workplace, they kind of stated that there are many indigenous peoples and communities who are actually like against this being a holiday, uh, which is very true. Not everyone is in support of this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what folks kind of settled on was that management would pick a day um, that happens during across that week um, that folks could have for the holiday. Um, So during that holiday, folks would be able to participate in uh, different, uh, I guess different actions or find other ways to reflect and connect on how we all benefit from um, what's been happening to indigenous peoples. So we didn't actually bargain for the actual day off, but we will receive a day within that week to uh, have Mm -hmm. off. Yeah,
0: and I've got to say, I was on our negotiations team um, and helped write proposals, but then went off on um, maternity leave before we went to actual negotiations. So, um, and we now have a collective agreement that I want to say reflects very similar to what Elise uh, just said as well, which wouldn't be surprising because we're both mm-hmm. um, 1281 subunits, QP 1281. So mm-hmm. it would, I, I think that's very similar to, to what we have. But um, if I'm wrong about it, I will yeah. come back in the next episode and... Uh, and, and correct the record if that's the case but um
2: yeah 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 well and no go ahead my local oh sorry no, I sorry was just ahead,
0: to tell you to go ahead <laughs> this
2: is the oh, first time okay. it's happened <laughs> well, that worked stand
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> my uh my local's in bargaining right now uh and we actually uh filed for conciliation um so I can't talk about what's going on with mine because of confidentiality stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have a conciliation date set for the fall. So I might be able to come back to you all later and tell you what happens. But unfortunately, I have nothing mm-hmm. that I can say. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> no. Sorry. Maybe I... we can
0: do an episode on that, too, about um, different types of bargaining and what happens when they're – Anyway, that's a whole different subject yeah, matter. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. there's all different yeah. things that go on oh, yeah. with um, what you can – publicly speak about, or depending on what kind of bargaining you're doing. Anyway, good luck with that, Brittany. Mm
2: -hmm. Bargainings, thank you. It's been a ride. And this actually (laughs) goes
0: well into the next thing we're going to talk about, because, you know, one thing that we have to realize is that unions are actually colonial institutions in many ways, and we should take, uh, you know, time to look at ways that we can decolonize our union spaces and structures, Mm. like collective agreements and, you know, governance, uh, like our bylaws.
2: That's so true. That's such a good flag. And when I was looking into this, I found out that uh, Brock University's Faculty Association, they assembled an ambitious package of uh, revenue-neutral proposals in bargaining that directly address a range of collective agreement issues related to the university's strategic priorities of uh, equality or equity, inclusion, indigenization, and decolonization. So this is all spearheaded by the BUFA, so Brock University Faculty Association is B-U-F-A, so it's BUFA, Uh, negotiating team member, Professor um, Spy Denomi Welch, who identifies as Anishinaabe.
1: Yeah, um, I went to school for a bit, actually, at Brock University, Um, and I think this is also a great tangible example. According to their website, some of the proposals include explicit recognition that diverse forms of Indigenous scholarships count towards tenure and promotion. Provisions allowing for Indigenous members to voluntarily have an elder or traditional knowledge keeper slash carrier accompany them in promotion and tenure hearings and appeals in addition to their union representative. Having provisions that ensure that candidates for Indigenous focus appointments will have a meeting with an Indigenous member of the university community as part of the Indigenous process. And then lastly, expanded evidence of teaching, research-slash-scholarly activity, and service for tenure and promotion applications to include written comments from Indigenous organizations, elders, and more.
0: Yeah, thanks for Mm -hmm. sharing all that information. And this is something that locals can undertake when bargaining, hopefully led or in consultation with Indigenous members, but really the work of decolonization rests on settlers, uh, not on those who have been colonized. And, Mm -hmm. you know, another thing locals can do is work with um, HR, either informally or more formally in their collective agreements, you know, to have an indigenous elder as a mediator for grievances if that's what's been requested, uh, for example. Um, And we encourage Mm -hmm. listeners to discuss with your employer how they intend to offer training and education around indigeneity at the bargaining table and at other joint labor management processes like labor management committee meetings. you know, how your local can take solidarity actions in support of indigenous rights and justice issues and make that a priority on your agenda or advocate for the protection and strengthening mm-hmm. of public services for indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you were saying that about, you know, talking with HR uh, to see what work they can do, I actually remembered, I think, I I feel very, it, I mean, again, time is nebulous when you are in a pandemic. So I think it was last year, Um, I think my HR department actually put forward a a course that we could take as like employees. And it was three hours and it had to do with, I can't remember all of it, but I know it had to do with like uh, ways that we can help indigenous folks and, you know, be more considerate and all of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It was a really good educational three hour. I mean, it's virtual, like online. So, you know, sometimes online learning is not the greatest, but it's a step. Um, and I think they even said that, like, we could do it and and if we wanted, we would get paid. So I thought that was pretty neat. But I'm not sure, like, who all took it. I know I took it just because I was interested mm-hmm. in it, but I feel like that happened last year, but I don't remember anymore. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so yeah and so when it comes to so it's just another idea but when it comes to like governance and bylaws it's really important to make sure that like within your union spaces all members are familiar with the rules of order Um, so everyone can like meaningly for participate in the meetings And it's also important that we recognize that the rules of order are rooted in procedures of colonialism. And so perhaps there can be a way of looking at it and making them more inclusive for everyone.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something that's come up uh, within QP 1281 um, about folks and the rules of order. Um, And I think it's really great for us to have these conversations in our union spaces and to even consider this topic when creating things like a chant list or protest signs. One chant we often hear is, whose streets are streets but are they actually our streets or are we on stolen land just a thought
0: yeah. yeah i love that you pointed point that out because i often think that when um leading chance or that kind of thing and i'm like oh this one i mean people yeah it's it's such a good thing to to sit back and and have these conversations and and uh and question and look at critically and um because so often we do things based on past practice or the ways you know that we've always done it which should be questioned and i encourage yeah always and and questioning things doesn't mean dissent or that you don't like the labor movement it means that you actually want things Mm -hmm. to be better so (laughs) i've always been a huge fan because sometimes people think it means you know there's not solidarity if you're questioning things but really it does come from solidarity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i encourage our listeners to read an article that we will link in our show notes on decolonizing labor law uh, in which professor adele blackett asks what happens when labor law is forced to see itself in historically rooted, relational, and contextualized terms. While refusing continuity for its own sake, uh, Blackout stresses the need for developing spaces in which alternative and counter-hegemonic narratives about the purposes of labor law are taken seriously those emerging from labor laws, peripheries in colonized land, dispossessed and disenfranchised people in the global south and north. And so it's just an interesting article about who does labor law actually service and serve? And um, mm-hmm. and how do how can unions appropriately you know represent members in in these uh, spaces? And
2: yeah, when you were saying earlier that, like, you know, questioning things isn't isn't necessarily bad, like that made me think about how like I actually like mm-hmm. debate and I like debate because, and I've said this to you both before, like I like debate because that's where I learn the most. Yeah. It's like, if you're having respectful, co- I, I don't even really see it as a debate. I see it as like conversation. If you're having respectful conversation and asking questions, that's mm-hmm. how you learn. And, and, you know, later, you know, we're going to have an interview with Leela Paw. but uh, before the interview, she and I were talking and she said, you know, she's always happy to teach and she's always happy to, to explain things. So you know, that's questioning things isn't yeah. a bad thing. That's how you mm-hmm. learn. That's how we get better. That's how we become better allies. It's, you know, how we become, you know. Yeah. and Yeah. it's how we become
0: better. You know, <laughs> speaking of debate, uh, earlier we discussed the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and there's been different debates around around that. But um, one aspect that was brought up at the QP Ontario Convention was that some have been calling for it to be June 21st which has long been National Indigenous Day to honor and experience unique heritage, diverse cultures, and outstanding achievements and contributions of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. And for example, the Opsu Indigenous Circle had a campaign to make Indigenous Day a statutory holiday in Ontario, and the campaign held things like legislative breakfasts um, and the Kairos mini blanket exercise for MPPs at Queen's Park to call for such a holiday. Mm Um, And so they, um, in the absence of such a holiday, they called on union members to work with their union to recognize their right to take this day as a paid holiday, such as utilizing, you know, collective Mm. bargaining agreement to access time off. So that was all for June 21st.
1: Wow, that's Mm -hmm. a really great example of the hard work being done to have this recognized as a statutory holiday. And people doing this work must've felt unheard again when a different day was picked. A statutory holiday is one step toward rewriting the narrative of Canadian history into one of reconciliation that honours the cultures and achievements of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples.
2: Yeah, and and Tiffany... this was brought up at the CUPE Ontario convention, wasn't it? There was like a resolution that was debated, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: um, it was actually while I was chairing that part of election. So I think I remember it. it's like embedded <laughs> in my go. memory because I love debate too. So I, I always like uh, being part of a yeah. uh, convention when there's people at both pro and con, Mike. So um, yeah, it was a resolution submitted mm-hmm. by QP Ontario Indigenous Council. And I'm just going to quote, directly quote the resolution uh, to campaign and lobby the Ontario provincial government to recognize and designate the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation as a statutory holiday in Ontario. Honor September 30th by encouraging our locals and members to commemorate the day to learn about the history of the residential school system and reflect on the harms that it caused and continue to cause indigenous people. And uh, there was ample and respectful debate on the resolution around what day we should be lobbying for it to be. And ultimately this resolution did pass.
1: Yeah, debate is so important at conventions so that all members have the opportunity to have their voices and concerns be heard. It's also a really great place for folks to reflect and learn, as Brittany mentioned before. There's also lots of really great resources that we mentioned in this website. Um, And just another resource that I wanted to mention was one created by the Urban Society for Aboriginal Youth. They actually created this online escape room called Della's Story that teaches people Uh about the 60s scoop. I thought it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. I saw it being promoted by uh, Mm. CBC Indigenous. So I definitely thought I had to share it here with folks.
2: That is so cool. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely list that in the show notes. And I don't know if you guys want to do it together. We can. Yeah,
1: that sounds like a great idea. Oh, yeah, I definitely. would
2: love to. Oh, my gosh. Or like even bring it to like your mm. like QB councils. Mm. Actually, that's a really great so idea. I've never done an
0: online escape room. So, yeah. Me I have and they're lots of fun. This oh, one will be a really great so learning cool.
1: opportunity, I think, for folks. Um, and yeah. on the website, it listed that I think the participants you can have is ranges from like three to eight people. But you can also book for like a larger amount of people to be um, in a session as well. Oh,
2: that's and so neat. That it's would be something also. so fun. Yeah. And... That's
1: awesome.
2: Oh, that's awesome. And so speaking of things that you can do too, the University of Alberta has a course, which is also free, called Indigenous Canada. And uh, so they state on their website, uh, Indigenous Canada is a 12 lesson, massive open online course from the Faculty of Native Studies. And it explores the different histories and contemporary perspectives of indigenous people living in Canada. So this is something else that you can do if you want to learn. Um, And I mean, like I said, sometimes online isn't the greatest, but uh, in this aspect, it would be wonderful because you know you're coming like you're getting information from Alberta Mm -hmm. you know if you reside in Ontario or somewhere else then it's great and you can learn at your own pace.
0: Yes
1: I love being able to learn at my own pace. Mm -hmm. Yeah
0: Yeah. and I saw that he had a huge um, increase of people taking the course when Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek tweeted that he completed the course I think last year or the year before so yeah yeah so um, there was that little uh, shout out but definitely wonderful resources both of them and you know it's always important to hear from indigenous people on issues that they are facing as they are the experts in their own experience. So next up, we have an interview with Layla Pa and uh, take it away, Brittany, with the interview.
2: All right. I am so excited to welcome today's guest. Leela Pa is an Indigenous activist with the Mi'kmaq roots, and she proudly lives and promotes her Indigenous heritage and culture in her personal and professional life. Leela has worked as a paramedic with the Niagara Paramedics and Dispatchers for over 20 years. A social activist and equity champion, Leela is the equity officer and a health and safety co chair at her QP 911 local. She is also the newly elected chair of the QP Ontario Indigenous Council and sits on the QP Ontario Women's Committee. Leela is a graduate from Lakehead University with two degrees in geography and Indigenous studies. An avid traveller and volunteer, she has travelled and experienced diverse cultures and histories on all seven continents. When Leela is not travelling and working, she volunteers for a couple of months every other year in a remote Inuit community as one of the leaders of the Kajak program And her team was the Laureate of the Arctic Inspiration Prize, a By the North, For the North initiative to recognize and encourage teamwork and betterment of the life in Canada's North. Uh Leela is also an animal lover. She is a cat mom to two adorable Sphinx cats, and she is also my cousin by marriage. So welcome, Leela. I'm so glad you're joining us. And this is actually, um, if you listen to last month's episode, she asked some questions. So this is not her first QP cast episode. It's actually her second. So so excited to have you
3: (laughs) thank you so much for having me Brett I'm excited to be here and I am sure Lola and Dobby will make an appearance and you guys all hear them purring at some point so (laughs) everybody prepare yourself you won't see the naked cats but you'll certainly hear them
2: they're adorable they're adorable (laughs) they're they're so there's oh there you can hear Dobby's purrs now (laughs) Uh, so pardon
3: I said, he can't stop.
2: <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, so yeah, thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Uh, and congratulations on your election as chair of the Indigenous Council.
3: Oh, thank you so much. The wonderful Don Belrose left some really big moccasins to fill, but I'm excited for her as her newly elected fourth VP and congratulations no. to you on your rise to oh, third VP. You. I'm so proud of you. you and your advocacy Please. and your accomplishments.
2: Oh, thank you. I know it's very exciting. It's been, it's been a fun journey and I'm excited that you're on this journey now with me too. <laughs> um, and so you have been a part of the Indigenous Council for quite some time, correct?
3: Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to join the council in 2017. Um, so funny story, I was at the Ontario Division Conference and walking past a door where Miyako Hildebrand Kuzik called out to me Um, She knew me from the Niagara Roller Derby, and uh, she asked me to join in a meeting with the Indigenous Council, so everyone was so welcoming and Larry Giffen remembered me from participating in the morning smudges that I would attend and he would lead, and Luke Sir and I had uh, a great conversation, he was collecting money and uh, selling Indigenous Council t-shirts in the conference foyer. So we had a great conversation about food insecurities and the importance of like helping our Northern neighbors. Because like you said, I travel to Nunavut regularly and I can yeah. see the difference that people make. Um, and then Dawn told me there was space available in the council and asked me if I would be interested in filling it in. So I said that I would be super interested. So she yeah. talked to Fred Hahn and then five years later I find myself immersed in council and I'm super proud to be a small part of such an amazing group of people.
2: Oh, that's great! of um, twenty seventeen was my first QP Ontario Ontario division like conference ever. That was the first one too. I went to. So it's fun that we both had like interesting experiences at that convention. Twenty seventeen was a good year. It was. A it good was. Year. And that was the year that we met. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. It was it was crazy.
2: Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a good year! Um. And then I I just have like a very quick question. When is the next time that you're going up to the Inuit?
3: Uh, I'm going back up to Nunavut. Um, It was supposed to be uh, last year during COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. So now I'm looking at going this year sometime, but being on the executive board, I had to shuffle my schedule just a little bit. So Mm -hmm. um, I might have to put it off for another year, but we'll see. Hopefully this year, you never know.
2: Do you uh, maybe want to explain to folks like what you do when you're up there?
3: Um. we run, uh, so my friends live up there. They've, uh, they lived there for, oof, I guess about 23, 24 years now. And, uh, they become immersed in the community. It's a remote community in only. And, uh, we run a handmade kayak program. We spell it traditionally. So it's K-A-J-A-Q, kayak. And, uh, we teach the high school children how to use power tools and we build kayaks. And then when they're ready, we teach them how to paddle on Hudson's Bay. So it's super cool. And it kind of restores um, their history and their traditions and their way of life. And it's, it's very exciting. It's a very cool program to be a part of.
2: Yeah. I remember seeing some of your pictures and hearing some of your stories about it. So I want you to share it because I think it's so interesting. Like, I just, I just think it's so neat watching it start from like the building process to, <laughs> you know, you actually get to like travel in it. So I just yeah. want to explain it to everybody. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned, I guess, uh, when I was introducing you that you're also part of QP Ontario's women's committee. So how long have you been on that committee for?
3: Um, so I've been the indigenous representative on the women's committee for
2: almost two years now,
3: I believe, okay. which it's funny because, like, because of COVID, I've met most of the women's committee over email and Zoom, but a couple yeah. months ago, there was a hybrid meeting, and it was wonderful to have some real space time with uh, the some yeah. of the wonderful members, and uh, Leila mesquine is amazing and an inspiring young leader, and I look forward to continuing working with the women's committee. It's a, mm-hmm. such a diverse group of, like, incredible women, and I'm just happy mm-hmm. to be a part of it. It's also pretty funny that uh, I've been the only Leela my entire life. And now I have a friend, Layla, which is spelled the same
2: way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're both from Niagara, which I know, is how weird, fun right? for those of us here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And so can you, I just want to, sorry, I just want to go back. I should have asked this first, but whatever it is, hmm. what it is. Um, can you just go back and tell us like, what is some of the work that the Indigenous Council is doing right now?
0: can share with
2: us? Uh,
3: So right now, uh, we're continuing to work and educate about grassy narrows. So like the entire reserve had suffered mercury poisoning at the hands of the Dryden chemical company and the carelessness of handling and the actual like careless, um, concern about the people in the area and the population Mm -hmm. is there. So we continue to like, um, bring recognition to that and help them fight their fight. Um, We also stand with the Wet'suwet'en Nation as they fight to protect the land that they have and demand land back. Um, The federal government should be more interested in providing like water Mm -hmm. to First Nations communities. So why not pipe water into these communities because they pipe resources away from them. So it's foolish to think that that could happen like this time, like this day and age. Mm -hmm. Um, We love, as a council, doing community outreach and teachings within the communities. And our sister Alicia Bruff did an amazing outreach to her local, and she invited other locals. And we did storytelling and drumming. And Alicia is an amazing singer. She absolutely gives me chills with her powerful voice. So I've heard her.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, she's beautiful. Like oh, oh, incredible. It's such an
2: emotional experience as someone listening.
3: A hundred percent. Like it every time. Like even even though like I've probably heard her more than the average person. It just gives me chills, like she's incredible. And then you guys have probably seen our own Holly Rodriguez, um, kind of our council elder and her partner, George Rose, who's not a CUPE, but he's also an elder advisor to us and how much work they've done. They've been on the CBC, CTV, um, recognizing residential school survivors and honoring Mm -hmm. those um, who were found at the crime scenes of the residential schools. Um, they've done tons of work with that. They've done, Mm -hmm. uh, like peace towers and stuff like that in their local parks. It's been very good. And Holly and George have been great for us. They've taught us, uh, about drumming and we made our own drums where we can participate in our own communities and sing Mm -hmm. for different functions and stuff. Um, we do a lot of work with our Northern neighbors and our Northern neighbor connections. And we raise money. Oh, this is, this is so awesome. We raise money to send birthday boxes to children yeah. who might not be able to celebrate because oh. supplies and gifts in remote communities are very hard to come by and yes. mailing them there is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is so costly. So we just work to educate like Southerners about food insecurities in the North and give examples um, about, um, astronomical pricing Mm uh which makes food unavailable if it's even there to so many people Mm -hmm. and so then we it's an opportunity for us to teach people about the land and food from the land and the importance of hunting and eating traditional foods like deer walrus whale um we educate the on the importance of thanking the animal and honoring it using it all such as like fur for clothing meat for eating bones for fire and even the innards is a good dog food Mm -hmm. um But yeah. And then like myself, the Arctic's a beautiful place and I find myself there a lot with the kayak program. So then it's awesome because I just get to be encouraged by the people around me to go up and do that good work. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's the indigenous council is always busy doing something.
2: I was going to say, you guys are, you're so busy, (laughs) but it sounds like all the work that you're doing is incredibly impactful. And also like it's, wonderful ways for those of us who don't know like it's wonderful ways for us to get involved and learn and so I mean maybe at the end of this uh you can send me some links and we can include links of how folks could get involved if they'd be interested like with the birthday boxes for example and then we'll leave those in the show notes for folks um because you know I feel like if people want to help and learn this is a great way right yeah Um, And then does the Indigenous Council work intersect at all with like the work on the Women's Committee too? Um, Because those are two, like you said that you're the Indigenous rep, so uh, on that, on the Women's Committee. So I'm sure the work intersects some way. So can you explain that to us maybe? Yeah, like
3: both groups are like very exciting and important committees. So like, I'm happy that the Women's Committee helps to promote and recognize like days and events for the Indigenous Council. Like for example, uh, many people don't realize that June is also National Indigenous Peoples Month and National Indigenous Peoples Day is June 21st, um, which is also the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. Um, And it's questioned that June 21st should be the federal or provincial holiday as many of our families participate in events such as powwows and celebrate the season of abundance and go berry picking and salmon fishing. Like, it's really important to recognize that the federal government gave September 30th um, as the holiday, the Truth and Reconciliation Day. But to us, and hopefully to all of you, it's a day of remembrance and Mm -hmm. honor. Like, Mm -hmm. September 30th is also Orange Shirt Day. And... It deserves to have that day of honor and the quiet reflection and respect for those who didn't make it back to their families from the residential schools. But June twenty first is the day to celebrate. It's the holiday. It's the day to gather with families and have fun. And sometimes I think the government forgot to ask us which day should be a holiday and which day should be a day of remembrance.
2: Yeah, they just you know made the decision.
3: Yeah. <laughs> which typical government.
2: No, I was going to say, not surprised. <laughs> um, I think. So like here in Niagara, I know they, in the last couple of years, they've done a solstice at Port Dalhousie beach. And I remember I was there a few years ago and they did drumming and that was phenomenal. There was like a whole group there. It was wonderful. Um, Are there specific, like, I'm sure people can look it up in their own areas of like, maybe where specific things would be happening that they could maybe help celebrate or learn or what have you.
3: Um, A lot of the friendship centers have a listing. Most of them actually have Facebook pages now. So if you look for a friendship center within your own local, um, you'll find something and you'll find their events page there, or a lot of them have websites, but not all of them maintain them very well, but there should be something there too, or at least a contact number where you can call and ask what's happening.
2: Great. And do you have like any plans yourself?
3: Um, I will be in Tobermory, so I'm going to go down to the Sogin, and, uh, yeah, so participate and see what's happening down there and enjoy some time Mm -hmm. on Georgian Bay
2: and, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Good. Yeah. And I think, uh, by the time this episode actually is released is, uh, that June 21st will have passed already. So I hope that you have a good day and I hope that everyone (laughs) has a good day celebrating.
1: Uh,
2: and you know, for our listeners who are listening now, they can make plans for next year.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, well, well, was there anything else that you wanted to share? Like, I am happy to just give you space and you share what you would like, <laughs> or if there's anything, anything at all. Um, you know, we touched a little, we already, you touched a little bit on like Indigenous People Day on June 21st and how mm-hmm. it's, how it's different from the day of na- the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation in September. And, um, and we'll be talking about more in the, in the podcast about Orange Shirt Day, um. So was there, is there anything that you want to share with everyone or where people can find you or anything like the work that the indigenous council is doing where we can find that? <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, you can, well, anybody can Google me. And, uh, actually it was funny because Tracy from the women's committee, I sent her a bio and I was like, yeah, it's boring. I'm like, I was like, just like dress it up make it nice. And then she, she emailed yeah. me back. She's like, have you ever Googled yourself? And I'm like, no, she's like, you should. <laughs> like
2: oh right. yeah that was like that's you good to go- know right yeah I've heard if you go in incognito mode too and you google yourself you can find the information that like if I was to google you you would I would see
3: oh very cool all right
2: though so I have heard I've never actually tried it I don't know I've never had to try body. it
3: Tracy was very encouraging so I think I will
2: do <laughs> it I'm sure there's wonderful things like like your bio doesn't even explain half of the things that you actually do but that's okay there's lots.
3: <laughs> I'm just lucky to be able to be active. So I'm happy to be able to help.
2: Oh, good. Well, that's great. Well, that if, if there's anything else, like feel free. Um, oh, I think no. Okay. She's shaking her head. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. I super appreciate you. Like I said, coming on and sharing with us and taking the time out of your day. Um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we will, uh, we'll get back to this podcast episode. So thank awesome. you again. And like I said, I will leave all that information in the show notes for folks, if they want to follow you, if they want to see what the indigenous council is doing and all of yeah. the uh, different things that you had mentioned. Um, so we'll leave all that in the show notes for folks. So yep. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Perfect. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. There's so much to cover on this subject that deserves a continued look. And as unionists also, we have our own responsibility to achieve reconciliation. CUPE National has a guide available for CUPE members with key resources to better acknowledge and include indigenous members in our union and to help locals take concrete action towards reconciliation with indigenous peoples. We will link that guide in our show notes. And thank you so much to everyone for tuning into this episode of the Cast. Uh, once again, a special shout out to our producer and editor, Muhammad Akbar, for his amazing talent in editing this podcast. And a huge thanks to all the QP Ontario staff without whom this podcast wouldn't exist.
1: Yes, thank you. And we also cannot forget that this month, June, is Pride Month. So wishing you all a happy Yay, Pride. Happy pride. Yeah. Yay. If you want to know more about Pride, you can go back and check out our second episode, which we recorded last year, which is Queer Liberation, Not Rainbow Capitalism, where we have an interview with Susan Gapka, the chair of the QB Ontario Pink Triangle Committee.
2: And don't forget, you can now stream and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yay. So if you're loving QB cast, I know it's so exciting. Um, so if you're loving QB cast, let us know. And as always, if you have any comments or topic ideas, please send them to info at qb.on.ca. Thank you for listening. Sending solidarity.